know, every once in a while we're called to mount an experience in our life. God calls us up and, and uh, you know, he says, uh, come up and be here and I will show you what must be here after like he did with Moses. You know, um, you're going to see Moses go up into a mountain. Elijah's going to be taken up into a chariot. And, uh, you know, many of us have had mountaintop and valley experiences. And this podcast, uh, which is called the Mitchell Codex, I'm wanting to get into probably the, the greatest mountain experience that is described in Scripture. And I want to go through, like, an understanding that started to form with me a number of years ago. And uh, let me just put it this way. I was, I guess it was early on, and and I get that's why we're in, you know, phase 00 number 10 here. Uh, it was early on for me. I had this question. I had been looking at um, the Exodus passage when uh, Moses went up into the mount. It was Horeb, or what we call Sinai. He was caught up into the mountain, and I was interested that there was different stages of leadership that went up into that mountain. You noticed in Exodus 24 that, I'm just going to read it because, so that you can hear it. Exodus 24, 1, God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, and the 70 of Israel's elders, and worship at a distance. And then Moses alone shall come up near the Lord, the other shall not come near, and neither shall the people come up with him. And Moses came and told the people all that the Lord had said, and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, rose up early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up twelve pillars representing Israel's twelve tribes. He sent young Israelite men who offered burnt offerings, sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood, put it in basins, the other half dashed it against the altar. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And he said, All the Lord has said we will do and we will be obedient. Moses took the remaining half of the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up the mountainside. And... Uh, so Moses is going to go up this mountaintop experience. And my question was, is, you know, what does it take to, like, you know, get into the context of 70 elders? And, I mean, what kind of human development do you have to go through to go into that? And then much less Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, um, they're going to go up into this mountain with the Lord, or excuse me, with, with Moses uh, on Horab. You know, what does it take humanly speaking, to go from the base of the mountain where you got this myriad millions of Israelites uh, and then go up. And I, I don't know why the question was in my mind until maybe now I might understand a little bit better, but that question was placed inside of me. And if you wanted to like look at this 70 elder aspect, I would want you to listen to later on the podcast called Stars to Men because it'll start to give you an understanding of the 70 elders. But then I was like, man, he's going to go on up. And again, what kind of human development would it take to go up into that mountain? And so I was at home, and I think I think Carol was out of town, and the kids were out of town, and I was home alone. And I asked the Lord that question, and he told me to turn to Matthew chapter 17. Now, you have to understand something about me. At this point in my life, I do not know my Bible very well. 
So when the Lord tells me to go in Matthew 17, like now, I would, you know, maybe could quote you some of the verses in Matthew 17 and know where he's at. But then I had no idea how Exodus 24 and Matthew 17 were going to connect. And, you know, later on, I had no idea that Elijah is going to be caught up in the same place, Horeb, that you're going to see Moses at, Elijah at, and then later on, Jesus in Matthew 17. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to look at the concurrent aspects of what is happening where Moses is at and where I'm at in Matthew 17. And so so we get into verse 10, Exodus 24. And so they, they see the God of Israel that is a convincing manifestation of his presence under his feet as a pavement of a sapphire stone, like the very heavens in the clearness. Now, I just want to say this right now because I am not going to develop Exodus 24, 10, but there will be a podcast coming out, and it will be it'll be the phase double O number thirty that you can listen to called the Sapphire Throne, uh, because I have a different aspect here of telling a story about called the Mitchell Codex. So, and upon the nobles of the Israelites, he laid not his hand to conceal himself from them to re- rebuke their daring nor to harm them, but they saw the manifestation of the presence of God and ate and drank. And the Lord said unto Moses, now. Come up to me into the mountain and be there. Man, I could preach this, but I'm telling a story. Uh, Because there's something about when you come up into this place, you have to be, you don't do. There's a stillness and a rest that you enter into. Anyways, that'll be for another day and that'll be for another sermon. There'll be a preaching sermon. And I will give you the tables of stone with the law and commandments which I've written. You teach them. So Moses rose with Joshua, his attendant, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, tarry here for us until we come back to you. Remember, Aaron and her are here with you, and whoever has a cause, let him go up to them. And so he's literally leaving 72 men behind. Again, go listen to stars to men to get a context for that. But then Moses went up into the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And so I just want to start giving you some representations of occurrences. Number one, Moses went up into a cloud. Secondly, he was on a mountain, and that that cloud covered the mountain. It says the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, also known as Horeb, and the cloud covered it for six days. And then look at this, notice the day, and on the seventh day, God called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, what day? The seventh day. And the glory of the Lord appeared as what? Like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. Moses entered into the midst of that cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was in that mountain 40 days and nights. Now, and so we see there was a glory of the Lord. There was a cloud. They were in the mountain, Horeb, and it was on the seventh day that God begins to speak. We also see a devouring fire. Now, if you'll go with me to Matthew chapter 17, I'm going to show you the connection. The Holy Spirit spoke to me that night and how I was able to connect this. And it says in Matthew 17, 1, and six days after this. How many days after? Six days. So what does that make it? The seventh day. Jesus takes them, Peter, James, and John, and is, and led them up on where? A high mountain by themselves. His appearance underwent a change in their presence. And his face shone clear and bright like the sun, and his clothing became as white as light. And so we start to see the glory emanating with like bright light out from the Lord. 
And there appeared unto them who? Moses and Elijah. Now remember, Moses is on Mount Sinai thousands of years before this. Elijah later on is going to be caught up in a fiery chariot at Horeb also and is going to go up. And now we have Jesus himself with his disciples and they're all meeting each other, get this, outside of time at the same time. So Moses, Elijah, and the Lord. Now, this blew me away when the Holy Spirit showed this to me because I didn't know my Bible well, and so he literally told me to go to these passages and said, look at the correlations. You have seventh day, you have brightness and glory, you have a change of appearance, and you have a high mountain. And then Peter's like, because Peter's a builder, he's like, Lord, it is good and delightful that we are here. If you approve, I will put up three booths here, one for you and one for Moses, one Elijah. And what does this master builder, Peter, want to do? He wants to construct a facility and apostolically and build something, a pattern that he is receiving right there. He wants to take that pattern and develop something out of it, a structure, because he sees now Moses, who is symbolic of the law, and Elijah, who is the prophets. Later on, Jesus is going to say this, He's going to say, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I am myself the very fulfillment of these two realities, the law and the prophets. They, I am, they are fulfilled in me. And so Jesus is a person who these are fulfilled within. And, and while he is still speaking, to behold a shining cloud. Now, what comes down on Moses? A cloud, right? In Exodus 24, what does Elijah go up into? He goes up into the heavens, in into the heavens where the clouds are at in a fiery chariot. And so you've got what is all around them of light. And what do you also see? Sound. Because at every move of God you'll ever see, like we're going to see it later on in Pentecost, at Pentecost, you're going to see sound. You're going to, excuse me, hear sound and you're going to see light. Because light and sound are going to come in when you have a dynamic shift of the realm of the Spirit of the Lord. I'd like to call that the place of the collider. That is the place where sound and light collide. And God is present there. Why? What do we hear now? The sound of a voice. This sound of this voice is so shaking that the three greatest leaders at this time next to the Lord himself, what happens to them? They fall on their faces, seized with alarm and struck with fear. What does he say? Out of the cloud. This is my son, my beloved, and whom I have and always have been delighted. Listen to him. Now, folks, if we're going to listen to anything, when the Father speaks like he does this, this is in Matthew, I believe, 3.17, when the Holy Spirit lights upon Jesus at his baptism with John, and the dove comes down, you see the, you see the Trinity in that passage. People that are, argue for uh, Jesus only literally do not have an understanding of Scripture because right there in that passage, you see the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus right there and the Holy Spirit in the, in the figure of a dove coming and lighting on him. You see the triune Godhead right there in one verse. And so now you see right here this voice, and he says two things about him. You are beloved. And um, this is a huge understanding that the Lord is completely immersed in is the love of his Father. 
but not just the love, the beloved aspect, which I would call the feminine aspect, but sonship, the masculine aspect of his human humanity and his kingship. And so in one moment, he's saying, hey, I, I, am, I loved him. He's beloved and he is my son. I am well pleased and I've always been delighted in him. Now listen to what he has to say. That's very important right now that we develop this moment together that you listen to what he has to say next. Because he says it right here. He, he says, uh, he touched them. He says, don't be afraid. And they raised their eyes. They say, no one but Jesus. And, and they were going down the mountain and Jesus cautioned, commanded them, do not tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Because people would not have a context for this at all, transfiguration without resurrection. And the disciple says, then the scribe said, Elijah must come first. He replied, Elijah does come and will get everything restored and ready or he will restore all things. Now, I've done a podcast on this restore all things. Um, one of them's called, it's, it's phase double O number three, Takun Alam. And then I just did another one out of phase 10X called the Collider giving the um, vision, mission, and the essential uh, understanding of the ministry that we're involved with. And so, again, I'm just referencing back, but if you have an opportunity, listen to them about what it means, uh, the restoration of all things. Now, don't you find it very profound that Jesus is being transfigured before his apostolic team and Moses and Elijah to show us what matters the most to him uh, in his mountaintop experiences. Now, let me just say this. Many of us have mountaintop experiences. Moses is having one. He's going to be viewing the Lord. He's going to write the, the covenant. Elijah's having one. He's being taken up into heaven in a fiery chariot. Uh, they're having a, Moses is having an experience with the Godhead. Now Elijah's had an experience with Godhead. Now the three are having an experience with the Godhead. And what is Jesus's mountaintop experience that he exposes to them? Listen to this because this essentially matters, I believe, more than anything. Jesus is exemplifying his heart for humanity. I am going to die. I am going to be buried. I am going to be resurrected. I am going to ascend. I'm going to send descend holy spirit's going to descend for what purpose because it is my purpose for my blood to be shed on the cross applied at the mercy seat in the heavens for one reason one reason alone my father wants you to be one as we are one those that are mine to glorify mankind so i am demonstrating right now in relationship with my father my mountaintop experience and what is my mountaintop experience the glorification of man Jesus is showing us, and Peter's going to say it in Acts 3, Acts 3.21, that Jesus is retained in the heavens until the restoration of all things. What is the restoration of all things? The heart of the Father being turned to the children, and the children to the Father. Why? Because he wants us to know, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye the Lord. Hear ye him. Listen to what he says. I have always been delighted in him that you and I must know the delight of our Father. And out of that delight, by the purchased blood of Christ, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you and I will be glorified. And when we come to a place of glorification, which I believe the Lord has 
phase this out called the galactic progeny I will see you in the air and this expanded family that the Lord has desired will govern and rule the earth now I don't know if you can hear this but I'm extremely intense about this passionate about it and believe in what I'm saying right now and my wife and I many of you have decided that we're ready to go on the line for this. I th- in a, you know, I'm grateful for your partnership. I'm grateful for you taking time to listen to this. And now I want to just kind of step back into this Mitchell Codex and talk about an experience that I personally had of uh, working through a national mountain um, situation. Now, what happened, I try to lay this out the best I can, is I was a part of a prophetic team in Asheville a number of years ago and um, we were doing something called identification repentance as it relates to land intercession. Now, I, I don't know how many of you have done that, and some of you may have operated in this, and there's some of you are doing this now. I want to share with you the story of how I got involved with got involved with this, and then also what ended up resulting of going up to Mount Mitchell. And so I'm going to lay this out to the best of my memory. I think we were in our first year of uh, the MZ Hop. Uh, The Lord had blessed us with an excellent executive team. I had a pastoral team and an executive team, and and we were moving forward. Our, Our ministry was growing. I think that we had we were getting off the ground and, and the team was developing and we were blessed. People were being blessed, I believe, in families and we were seeing power demonstration and love of God in our meetings. And I was in a, I was in a, a my Friday morning admin, executive admin meeting with uh, Shauna Rash. And uh, her and Ken, Ken was one of our lead elders and Shauna was uh, my executive admin. Just excellent. Uh, administrator and I loved working with them and so we were sitting there and uh, going over uh, MZ Hop and going over the ministry and what needed to be done and she would write letters for me and send out I mean she is amazing I even have a job description that she wrote after she left that's impeccable uh, for the future administrator so she she said hey Carol I need to get up and go to the restroom and I said okay and as, as soon as she said that uh, my phone rings she she stands up my phone rings and uh, someone comes on the phone and says to me uh, this this person it was a Cecile Schmidt Uh, uh, she she calls me and she says "Uh, Carol I had a dream last night and I need to relate it to you and I said okay Cecile and uh, she said the Lord told me to call you right now and I said well it must be the Lord because I was like uh, Shauna just got up to go to the restroom, and I have a few minutes here before we go back into our meeting. And she says, well, this is, this is what happened in the dream. You were hosting a Southeast conference, and you and your wife, Kara, were on the stage doing it together. And Kara looked just like you. And I kind of snickered and said, oh, no. You know, she's a lot better looking than I am. And she says, well, what I mean is y'all were so one in, the, in your nature, but you were both ministering on the stage together. And she said that there were lots of people there all over from all over the country that were in this conference. And her and her husband, uh, Shasil said her and her husband, Dale, were down in the, 
middle section of the conference, and they were in these chaise lounges. They were laid back like under the rest of the father. And they said uh, that we decided, I decided to get up to go to the back because the conference was swirling with the presence of the Lord and God was, the Lord was moving. And she said, I went to the back of the conference and asked where the intercessory team was because I wanted to talk to them. So she goes back to this intercessory team and she starts to ask them questions about the conference and what they were discerning that the Lord was doing. And I don't remember all the exact details that Cecile said to me, but she she told me that it was in in the dream that it was according to the what she had understood was there was a a lady uh, back there that was a part of a ministry called NC Pray, and that had told her her email address. Now, I, I just got to tell you that. When someone says something like that to me, I usually think that they're manipulating me or trying to use something. But um, Cecile gave me her word that she had never heard of this email address before, nor did she know the person uh, that was that was going to contact me because this person says that they wanted to contact me um, later on. It was a part of this intercessory meeting. And then Cecile proceeded to tell me that I was receiving a jurisdictional shift in apostolic authority. And I kind of stopped her right there, and I told her that I didn't have apostolic authority. We were just launching a church, and I was a local pastor. And she says, no, the Lord told me that he's going to move you from a regional-level apostolic ministry into a statewide uh, apostolicity, and you're about to go through a trial to test you in that. And uh, she gets off the phone, Shauna comes back, we finish up the admin, and I'm thinking, well, I tell you what, if this NC Pray is anything, I'm not pursuing it. I'm not looking it up, because if it's of the Lord, then this person will contact me. Well, Monday morning, I'm on my way to a prayer meeting with uh, Brad Ames and some other friends that were there. And and while I'm on my way uh, to pray, I get a phone call from a friend of mine uh, that I was met in seminary from the Gastonia, Charlotte area. And he calls me, his name was uh, Mr. Medford. He calls me and he, and he says, uh, Carol, we've been praying and my wife wants to talk to you. And is it okay if she emails you? you know, because she has some things she needs to discuss with you. And so I said, sure, have her email me. And, and uh, he said, maybe we can get on a phone conversation together. Because she has some things she needs to talk to you about. So she says, uh, I get the email while I'm on my way, and I look down at my phone, and it says, NC Pray. And I said, huh. Friday, I get this word about an apostolic jurisdictional shift, about a, a regional work, a statewide work for intercession. And uh, now I've got an email from this NC Pray that was in the dream of Cecile Smith, who lives in Minnesota. So it, it happens to be a lady by the name of Mary Medford, who is, even now, she's a part of Intercessors uh, Strategic Alliance in the state of North Carolina, and I believe is connected with a 50-state strategy for intercession. So Miss Medford, Mr. Medford, uh, call me on the phone. His name's Jeff Medford, and Mary, call on the phone, and she says, uh, Carol, the Lord spoke to our intercessory team, and told us to ask you if it was okay to come into Western North Carolina to do uh, intercession. 
And I said to her, I was like, you don't need to ask me. I don't have any authority like that to give you that approval. And she said, no, the Lord said you have the authority. And we are to report directly to you. And we are not allowed to come into Western North Carolina without your authority. And I said, well, what are you doing? And she says, well, we're going in divorcing all the bail sites, the Freemason sites, and any place where Jezebel set up a stronghold within the state of North Carolina. And we've covered two-thirds of it, but we need permission from you to cover the one-third. So I told her I'll get back to you on that because I had some leadership stuff I needed to ask about it. And so I went and asked some questions with my leadership team. And basically, my discernment from that, I told Mary and Jeff that, yes, I gave my approval, come in and do as you will. Well, let me just pre-warn you that you don't play around with this kind of realm without getting affected by it. So... They came in and they went to all the sites where witchcraft had been and Freemason and they prayed against it and said, we give our land over to the Lord. And I said, uh, you know, so I come into our Sunday morning meeting one Sunday and we were meeting at a seven day at Venice building in Arden. And I go into the back and prepare for the meeting. You know, I can't preach without an anointing. So I have four intercessors back there and we're, they're pounding the heavens. Well, the whole thing is like brass. Like the heavens are stopped up and I can't get under an anointing. And I I am really troubled because I don't have the ability to speak without being under an anointing. So I do not like being put out on a stage as, in the flesh because there's no power in that. And so I, I'm a, we're all struggling back there and we can't get a breakthrough. Well, that day I go out there to try to preach and it's just like my words fall to the ground and it's just horrible. And, um, and so I'm, I'm going home that evening uh, after the service, and I'm just sort of bummed about the whole situation. And I, uh, I pull into my, my drive where we were living, and there's these two, like, ravens sitting on the, on, on the ground. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and he says, you're afraid. And I said, I'm not afraid of anything. And he says, no, you're afraid. You're Elijah in the cave. Now, I have to tell you this. In the ministry, the ministry's booming forward. Now, all of a sudden, I have more conflict that I'm dealing with than ever before. And the Lord basically tells me, because now that you've shifted to a statewide level, the enemy's basically attacking us at that level and starts to basically undermine my, my worship team, some of my leadership, family members, and starts to play on them. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me, he says, you're going to lose seven individual entities of families. They're going to leave because they're actually inculcated with this uh, this spirit of Jezebel. Well, I'm like, uh, and I said, well, what do I do about it, Lord? He said, grab your wife's hand, pray against it, but you are not to say a word against them or come out against it, and they're going to accuse you of all kinds of things. And, man, I got accused of so many different things, and my wife and it was a really difficult place because it shook our ministry because approximately 35 people left. And we were really doing well until we came under a new jurisdiction on a statewide level against the enemy. So what I want to do with this is, and this is going to go on, it's going to go to a national and international level, and it's going to strip our ministry down numerous times. But I, I want to take this moment and, and basically foreshadow what happened before this, this event that happened where we're going through 
uh, shifting of apostolicity as it relates to statewide and national issues for intercession. Before all this had happened, I had been on a prophetic team with Nigel Big Pond where we had went into Western North Carolina and have been praying against what had been done to the to the American Indian and uh, that we were praying and asking the Lord to forgive us. and. There was a number of churches involved in that, and, and um, I was part of that team, and it was very dynamic, and Nigel Big Pond uh, was awesome working with him, and so we were working with racial tension and things like that and making these land repentance. And, and after that had happened, I go through this experience with the Lord where he starts to share with me, I want you to go up on top of Mount Mitchell and speak against the power of the air that has been affecting the whole southeast quadrant and and the United States of America. And I would take that word, and I was having encounters in Scripture and things, and I was like, I took it very, you know, subjectively, because if you're familiar with, like, John Paul Jackson's Needless Casualties of War, uh, you don't want to just be going up and speaking, even saying the word rebukes you to other powers and things without you're going to get affected by it. And so I, I, I put this out before the Lord because I had found out that there was this book um, called The Spiritual Reawakening of the Great Smoky Mountains by this person named Paige Bryant. And that that, that book held, the, held some information within it. And it's written, Paige is not a believer. I, I don't think she still is. I'm not sure. But who is describing basically how the dark side views the Great Smoky Mountains and our whole entire region and how it affects, uh, you know, a greater aspect of the United States. And uh, they can speak from the dark side instead of from our side being in the church. And so this is what I said to the Lord. Lord, if you're talking to me and telling me to go on top of Mount Mitchell, and we're going to go up there and deal with this issue related to the United States of America, and you're going to tell me to deal with a principality-level demonic system or a principality, then I, I need you to do this for me. You have someone bring me that book that I, that I haven't spoke to about this and I don't know, and have them bring it to me, and then I'll know that you're speaking to me the next day. And I cannot remember his name, but... Uh, he was over in Brevard. I hadn't met him. He was like some an intercessor. He brings me this book. And he says, uh, Carol, the Lord told me to bring you this book, but I got to have it back. You can't keep it. And, and I look down, and it's The Spiritual Reawakening of the Great Smoky Mountains by Paige Bryant. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, I am definitely being set up by the Lord to go to Mount Mitchell. So, so I go into the book, and I read it, and I find in there this section that talks about Black Knob and, and Mount Mitchell in this area and that there's this entity up there that they observe called the Great Diva and it's, it's their principality that they basically report to the whole dark side reports to this principality and I've been made aware of this from the Lord and had no idea of this information that this Great Diva that is controlling this whole realm is up there so now I'm really taking the word serious. So he's like, tells me to build this thing called the Mitchell Codex. And, and I send out this codex or this to all of these different intercessors. And I ask them, would they be willing to go up there with me? Two of them reported back. One of them was Susan Anton, and the other one was Gilbert Pride. And uh, 
they decide that we'll go up there. And I'm given these very clear instructions from the Lord on this mountain that I am to, at a certain time of day, turn in a certain cardinal direction. I had to have a compass to take a garment that I had to have made up that says on it, the order of Melchizedek, Nazarite Shulamite in Hebrew, and Obadiah in Hebrew. It's this whole garment to wear it, to go barefooted like a Kohan priest would, to have the Hebrew ready to speak, and to turn at a certain cardinal direction, at a certain direction uh, in the ley lines, which I had found out about, and speak the number six blessing into the ley lines um, in Hebrew. And that before I do that, I was to turn in the exact opposite cardinal direction and speak the word that David spoke to Goliath. Basically, you're coming down. And he speaks to Goliath and, you know, um, and tells him you had defied the armies of the living God. And uh, basically, you know, get, you know, cuts his head off. So we go up there and I have them, the two of them turn out from me and start like prophesying and praying. And they start praying. And I speak from the Lord, David's word to, to Goliath. I turn around at the exact time, at the exact cardinal direction with Hebrew and speak the Hebraic blessing into the ley lines. Now get this, the temperature up there must have been down in the 30s or something. It had to be on a particular day too on a new moon. And uh, I'm barefooted, I'm freezing, and the wind is blowing us. The rain is blowing like at probably 60 to 70 knots, I think. And we're standing there doing this. And then we get done with it. And Gilbert says on the way down, he said, I saw a door crack in the heavens. And um, John Harris had told me that the world was going to plunder the treasures of darkness and that I had been made aware he was going to open up an eastern gate and flood the nation with an awakening one day. So this is foreshadowing this moment of this apostolic shift that Cecile Schmidt calls about and we meet Jeff and Mary Medford about. This had happened before that. And the Lord had told me, when we left that Mount Mitchell assignment that day, go down into the city and prepare a people for me, for I will pour out my glory on them. And, um, and you know, you can listen to the stories of, you know, how I'll end up meeting um, Kurt Bennett, and he'll tell me the Lord's going to put his footstool down in the Asheville area. So uh, that became the Mount Mitchell assignment, and that the Lord one day would open up a door in the heavens. I got to tell you what happened after that, though. And I just want to say, please read Needless Casualties of War. And also, if you need more of a context for this, there's a, and I'll put this up in the notes section, but Anna Mendez Farrell had a similar situation like this happen with her and a team where they went up on top of Mount Everest to open up the, uh, the window for evangelism where uh, the gospel hadn't been reached all over the, all over the world. And there's also a, a really good work by uh, D- Derek Gilbert called Reversing Herman that you may want to get into and read also as some material. But man, after that, oh, I went back home, Saluda. It literally felt like someone had dug talons into my brain. I mean, I had never been in spiritual warfare like this. My wife, she's like, what is wrong with you? I've never seen a grown man cry so much. 
I literally would just double over and put my head between my knees. Now, some of you might say, well, that's what you get for doing something like that. But I, I came to understand something from the Father that, that he was utilizing this as a means of sanctification and um, also that he had permitted it. And I can tell you this, that it was so difficult. And so I end up getting to meet one of the most precious women in my life. Her name is uh, Laura Miller. And I end up getting to meet her, and she had this just this beautiful spirit, almost like a child. Um, and she, she prays for me on the phone, and instantly, whatever was attacking me left. She has that much authority as an intercessor. I would call her like a Siri intercessor. And, and God broke that off of me after a period of some time, and, and literally MZ Hop began right after that uh, Mount Mitchell assignment. Now, there you have it. That's the Mitchell Codex. And, and I just want to point out here again that um, this is about the restoration of all things this is about the this is about Jesus having glorified sons and daughters and I just want to pray as we close and and bless you many of you I think you're going to this is going to resonate with you it's going to give a context for some of the things that you've been through and and help you and I really hope that it does and gives you an understanding because many of you out there, some of you are being assigned in particular ways like this. And, and you know, the Lord had told me to do these Phase double O autobiography podcasts because some of you need a context for what you're going through. And if someone needs to go on the line for it and just talk about it. And so I just want to bless you and pray for you. Lord, I just ask you for those who are on, in, on the ground with intercession right now, that are fueling the flames of intercession to deal with this, these Bell and Jezebel systems, Lord. I just pray for strength and encouragement for the intercessory teams that are in the United States of America and globally that are working with you in partnership with you. I pray, Lord, that you would just um, release them into greater um, humility and greater understanding about what they're accomplishing with you. Um, Lord, I, I pray for people who have been sort of went through some of these processes like this and have taken land uh, taken, taken ground in the heavens, but they've become disillusioned through that or they've been through painful experiences and they've had no one to speak to. I pray this would be a moment where uh, they would feel like that they're not odd or weird or strange, and but they're unique and peculiar to you. I pray that you would just give them a sense of belonging right now, especially. And I ask you, Jesus, right now to raise up an intercessory army of people who are passionate for your glory and to see your release uh, on the earth where we, we look forward to seeing you come back and we bless you in your name we pray amen Jesus, you shine, the heavens declare.